1: With Alex and Foxy, Alex and Foxy, Alex and Alex. If I put our jacks in the paint, how you gonna stop me? How you gonna stop me? We can go head to head. Call out your top three. Call out your top three. Look at the switch from Buddy here. Now that boy got three. We got Holly Burton running point. This is a Benedict for the shot. If anybody gonna come in the post, then we got Miles Turner for the plot. Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast. Sweeping every team. We gonna need a mop. Smooth. All right, everybody, what's going on? Welcome back to another episode here of Setting the Pace. Joining Fachi and I is Ryan Hammer to break down two prospects today. We're going to have this as a part one, part two type thing, but we're going to jump into part one here. We're going to talk about the forward from Houston, Jairus Walker. Fachi. I know this is a guy that's really high on your radar. Uh, any any uh, thing you want to talk about before we get into this deep dive here on our format with Jairus?
2: Yeah, I mean, look, when the Pacers make it known that they need to address defense this offseason, Jairus Walker's the first name that's going to come to mind, and I really feel like if if that's what you're looking to solve, then there might not be another man better for that job than Jairus Walker.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, Jairus Walker was the AAC freshman of the year. Fachi was also on the second team, all AAC, so... You know, they were the Houston Cougars were the number one seed for the AAC and they were the number one seed in the NCAA tournament. So, uh, you know, this was a really strong team that a lot of people thought would make it probably a little bit further than they did in the tournament. But, uh, you know, they were also a team that did seem kind of uh, could be beatable once we, we heard about the injury to, to their point guard. But Ryan, let's get into it. So let's just look at his regular season stats and talk to me about. What are some things that stood out to you with uh, Jairus Walker?
3: Yeah, uh, I mean, kind of like you said, like he is just an absolute monster on the defensive end. The blocks is the biggest thing that stands out. He would co- he'll collect blocks at in four, five, or six at a time. I think in the NCAA tournament, he they played what I guess three games if my math is right, and I think mm-hmm. he was second in the ter- entire tournament in blocks. And he's not a center; like he was kind of playing some small ball five, and we can get into that. He he can play a small ball five in the league, but he's a forward primarily playing next to another big, and he's still collecting a ton of blocks. So I think you can look at some advanced defensive metrics and things like that, but in terms of block rate and block totals and volume, I think it really stands out, especially playing that forward position, because like you guys said, like you guys need defense. Miles Turner obviously collects blocks like no other, but them two together would be absolutely lethal, so.
2: Yeah, I completely agree. I love that pairing. And also, I mean, coming out of high school, Jairus Walker was regarded as the number one power forward in the nation. You know, Victor woodmanyama you could argue what position he's going to be. But when you're looking at, you know, maybe of a true four, it feels like Jairus Walker could very well be the best in the draft. I feel like this is someone that you got to remember, you know, 19 years old, a freshman. So you're not going to see these crazy stats across the board. However, defensively, that's where this guy is going to make his money in, in the NBA. That's what you're going to get out of him. And then we feel that the offensive game will come along. However, I know we'll be breaking all that down, but Alex, you were kind of one of the guys that initially got me onto Jairus Walker initially. What is it that you liked most about him and what do you feel most confident about his game? I feel like he has got one of the higher
1: floors in this draft class. I feel like, you know, his ceiling might not be as high as some of these other players that we're going to talk about as we cover these prospects, but I do believe that he could come in right away and be the Pacers starting power forward if he is their draft pick. I think that he does fit very nicely, like Ryan said, to Miles Turner. The Pacers have needed a secondary rim protector for a while. And while they tried it with Jalen Smith, I I just think Walker is more of a forward where Jalen Smith's more of a center. And with, with Walker, one of the things, like you mentioned, he is a freshman, so he didn't see a lot of touches. But I think it's more than just being a freshman. It's because he was on an experienced team in Houston. So Kelvin Sampson, while Indiana fans definitely know a lot about Kelvin Sampson because of his time with IU... And he's a good coach. Bottom line, he can flat out coach, and he's going to get the best out of his players. But I do feel like, you know, there was a there was a part of his game that you probably wanted to see more of in college, but I do feel like he's just got a good feel. Very smart basketball player, high IQ. I, I do think that he could be a little bit better on his shot attempts, be a little bit stronger in the paint with that kind of stuff. But overall, I just feel like if you're looking for rebounding and secondary rim protection, that's one thing I'm excited about. I will say, though, I am a little worried about can he play threes and twos in the NBA defensively? We did see him in the NCAA tournament switch a little bit, and he didn't look bad doing it. But it does look like, to me, Ryan, that his body frame is more built for a 4-5 instead of a guy that's going to be able to switch and guard you know, you know wings in the NBA.
3: Yeah, and he's super strong, and, like super built, like he's built like a fridge. So like yeah. he plays super aggressive at times, which for the most part is good. But a lot of times when he switches on to smaller players, he tries to body them up and stonewall them. He's gonna like, In the NBA, they're going to call a lot of fouls like that. It's just natural, especially when you have a six count. Um, but I don't worry about his switchability a ton. I think he'll be able to guard one through five for the most part. Listen, if you get someone, one of those six, six, two guards, like I'm a Hawks fan, Trey Young comes to mind. But like one of the quicker guards, he might have some issues at times, but... I wouldn't be too worried. I think, especially in a lot of pick and roll and screen action, he should be okay. Um, I have the same worries though, Alex. That you mentioned about like, the shot attempts. Where he, coming into Houston, like I wanted him to have like the chance to shine offensively on both ends. Uh, and I, Kelvin did do a really good job of balancing like what the team needed, which was Jarris, to be fair, uh, but also like letting him shine because he knew that he like, he has to get this young man on his path to the league. Like I think Kelvin Sampson has a really good understanding of that. Uh, but in terms of like ISO scoring and pull up shots. I don't think that's his strong suit. And I think that's where it kind of limits him, where I agree he has, if not the, maybe the highest floor in the entire draft outside of Victor and Scoot will completely eliminate them for those conversations. Uh, But I think the offensive side is really what like limits his ceiling a little bit. I'm not saying he can't be a good ISO scorer. I don't think he will be because of these things. And because of his experience and small volume and sample size in it. Uh, And even that it's at low efficiency. So that's kind of, that's kind of what worries me on him, but it's a no-brainer. I think defensively he's a great fit. Like I would take him to be completely honest. I think I had him at number four, my big board, my last one that I put out. He'll be four or five, maybe six at worst, to be honest, because he's gonna be good in the NBA. He's gonna be in a rotation, probably a starting lineup in five, ten, maybe ten years. So yeah, and talking about that fridge, you know, that frame that you said built like a fridge, because this guy is six
2: eight, he's two forty, <laughs> he's got a wingspan of seven foot two. There is a lot to like. When you mention offensively, you know, by the numbers, I saw it was he had, he attempted less than 10 shots or had less than 10 points in 16 of his 33 games. So, yes, he did leave a lot to be desired there. But part of that comes with fitting in on a winning team. We talked about this was a team that was number one overall at times during the year, a number one seed in NCAA tournament. And then defensively, what we know of what is, you know, his strength The AAC, he was number one in defensive plus minus. He was number one defensive rating, 87.1. So there's a lot to like there. But offensively, it feels like the the, the game is, it will come to him. But I also want to say that he's not this slouch from three-point land. Shot roughly 35% made. I want to say it was 32 or 33 three-pointers on the year. So it shows that there is room for that to continue to develop but for right now, you know, as a, as a freshman big, I, I feel like there's a lot to like, and you know the rest is going to come. But Alex, is there maybe, you know, something that you're, I don't know, maybe a comparison? Comparisons could be all over the place. But is yeah. there a player comparison that maybe comes to mind for you before we get to Ryan?
1: Yeah, I mean, before we jump into to player comments, so far, I know you were doing a lot of research on Jairus mm-hmm. Walker before yep. we did this. Can you kind of let the listeners know just how good of an NCAA tournament that he had? because. I know some of these numbers, like the last game he had against Miami, he was phenomenal in that game. And Miami was a team that has a lot of guards. And so it's kind of like, okay, how is he going to play against these guys and what's he able to do? And I thought, you know, I talked about him being able to switch a little bit. This is one of the games where I thought it
2: challenged him the most, but it was fun to see him kind of play in that game. So if you have those stats up, Foch, that'd be great. Absolutely. So uh, Jairus took his game to the next level in March Madness Uh in his the final game that we saw well let me go before that so we saw him as an absolute force defensively against Auburn six blocks 10 rebounds they pick up the win they move on to play Miami in the last game that we saw him in he had 16 points 11 rebounds five assists and four blocks in the sweet 16 so doing a little bit of everything I know we'll get to it but this man is one of the better passing forwards in this draft. I feel there's something that is very underrated about him. He's got a great feel for the game. But obviously, we know defensively that this man can block just about anything. Uh, Ryan, you mentioned it before. He, had, he was second in blocks in March Madness. He had 12 blocks in three games. I mean, this is this is someone that I feel like has an absolute knack for being able to block shots. So um, that performance against Miami definitely stood out as, as a nice stamp. Though he did not shoot the ball well in that game, he did a lot of other things really, really well.
3: Yeah, I think that's one of the things you get out of him is like if he scores five points. I said it about, I think, like Christian Brown the other day in the playoffs, like he scored one point, but he had like four steals, five boards. Like he will do a little bit of everything. Another thing that I think doesn't come up on the stat sheet a lot, you see it in the Miami game, a lot on the Auburn game when they were, I think they were down at halftime. It was a close game for a majority of the game. They, he goes into like this, I call it like Jimmy Butler mode because we're in the playoffs right now. He goes into Jimmy Butler mode where, he just goes absolutely crazy defensively. He lets nothing by him. I think it was against Jordan Miller versus Miami. He's completely sliding his feet with a – he's a guard, but he's like 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, um, but he's like sliding his feet. He's going everywhere. Intense work, right? Like he's almost like coaching guys on the floor. Like he just completely locks in like LeBron, Jimmy Butler. Obviously, I'm not comparing him to those guys. But uh, it's an interesting thing to see that you don't see in a lot of guys who are 18, turn, young 19 years old. So.
1: Yeah, and I saw today, Ryan. It was funny because Fachi asked me about player comps, and I think it was you that tweeted out today that you like <laughs> player comparisons because it does kind of give people an idea of what they're getting out of a prospect. And I think for NBA fans, it is hard to like watch both college and NBA and really deep dive into it all. And so like yeah, you can kind of like catch up late and start doing all your homework in April and May before the draft hits in June. But, you know, you're not going to be able to get a good feel for this. So, you know, I, I'm going off what the internet's telling me from what I've seen from other people that I trust. Um, you know, Fachi, I, I know you gave me a list of players here on this on this sheet, but one name that I, I think stood out when I was reading this was Paul Millsap. I do kind of see a similarity see? to him, but I think Millsap's probably a better shooter, at, yeah. you know, in his career. But I kind of like... You know, the frame, a six foot eight power forward, you know, millstep to me was more of a of a four or five that maybe could play three a little bit, but more so a, a true four and not a guy that's going to be super versatile. But I'm curious, Ryan, do you have any other player comps that kind of makes sense to you for, for Jairus Walker?
3: Yeah, he was one of the guys. I think I also tweeted that right after a list of like six guys. I'm like, <laughs> I'm really having trouble with the, like getting these comps for these guys. And he's one of them. I had a few ideas. And I, I don't know what I saw in my room somewhere. I think and I thought about it. And I realized that he is what I and everyone want John Collins to be. Like, <laughs> I, it's it's completely like in terms of being an athletic force that can play four or small ball five. He passes where he needs to. He can stretch and shoot. John, I think, has had some pretty excellent shooting clips in his career, at his peak at least. Yeah. Um, at his peak, which is, he's like, what, in his fifth year of his career and his peak is already probably behind him. But whatever. Um but he, I think he's what we all want John Collins to be like—just absolutely menacing on defense and being an offensive connector, a good lob threat, and just crashing the boards a lot and stuff like that, and being able to stretch and shoot. Um, it's tough. I don't think that's exactly spot on. I do, I do yeah. see a little bit of the Millsap connection. Also, I think it's tough just because of how aggressive he is on defense and because of the like the limits on offense. But also, the still good shooting. Like it's tough. The Millsap, like you said, is like Millsap shooting clips at times were really really good. So.
2: Yeah and I I like the Millsap comparison because this is no slouch. that's a four time all uh yeah, yeah four time all-star in Paul Millsap but also for Millsap you got to remember he did about 4 years in college he was a late second round pick 47th overall so Walker being far more polished early on can you know continue to develop his offensive game but when you mention John Collins I like that because that's one of the comparisons that I read is a more versatile John Collins so I could definitely see that one of the player comparisons that I did not like because comparing him to Larry Johnson, who I just felt like coming out of college was just the number one pick, was a beast offensively. Just like, you know, maybe if you want to talk about build-wise, okay, yeah, you get you're you talk about some big dudes, but I felt like LJ was far more established offensively. A few other things that I saw was Sean Marion, uh, who I think ended up being a jack-of-all-trades, and then Tim Thomas. So I think that Tim Thomas, I could see that a bit. The last, and this is just me, and I don't think that he's there defensively, uh, yet because this player is really – I mean, actually, defensively, he's very good, but offensively, we'll see. Is I would hope that maybe he could develop into a Bam Adebayo-type player with a three-point shot right now. Now, that's the thing is, look, Bam, very, very talented defensive player in the league. Maybe one day wins a defensive player of the year. Do you think Jarrish Walker could develop into a Bam-type player?
3: Brian? Yeah, uh Bam, I saw someone say on Twitter today – and I was like, I see that, you know, if he, like obviously in a four, Bam is like yeah. as true of a utility five as you'll mm-hmm. find with size and how his style and stuff. Um, but I see a lot of it. I see a lot of it. Bam's like offensive game has definitely taken some big leaps. I don't know. if, I, I guess he can get there. Why not? Because if Bam made that jump, I, I think Jarrus could too. Um, I don't think he'll ever be able to be like the rock and be the five for a team like mm-hmm. Bam. But if you took Bam, took a couple inches off, put him in the four, made him a little stockier, then like, yeah, I, I could see it a lot.
2: Yeah, because they got Bam at like 6'9", you know, maybe a 6'10". You got Jarris at 6'8", some will list them at about 6'7". So they're both maybe a little bit undersized for their position that they're playing. But I do think that, you know, when you look at at, uh, Bam's numbers at Kentucky, I mean, there was no signs of any three-point stroke or any, you know, mid-range where Walker feel like is a little bit ahead over there. But, you know, a lot remains to be seen. And if that works out for the Pacers, that would obviously be awesome because we need all the help defensively that we can get.
1: Yeah, and I mean one thing you were just talking about there, Fauci. You said you didn't like the Larry Johnson comparison, and I kind of understand that. But I actually think it does give an idea of who Jairus is. I think he's kind of an old school player
0: because yeah.
1: that is one thing Larry Johnson was, and he was defensive minded. You know, with with I think because one of the reasons I think they're giving him that comp is obviously like you said, the size. But both can shoot the three. Obviously, Larry Johnson much more of a better put the ball on the floor type of guy than I think a lot of people really remember because, like, him and Charlotte was unreal. He was and, very good. Yeah, yeah, it's like, you know, a lot of Pacers fans remember him with the Knicks, and it's a little bit different. He was really good with the Knicks, too,
2: but he wasn't the same. So post-back surgery, just not yeah. the same player. So the, yeah. the original LJ was, you know, early yeah. on, you know, a so, top-notch so, player.
1: So maybe more Knicks LJ for him than, than Hornets LJ because I just think he wasn't – He's I don't think Jairus is that athletic as LJ was like with some of the stuff he was doing, but I mean, the guy dressed up as, as grandma mall on family matters and was dunking in a dress. So I'm just Got saying him. like, you know, he was pretty awesome. But one thing I do want to move on to now is the strengths of Jairus Walker, because obviously we could go on and on and on. But the biggest thing for me besides the defensive ability is I love that he has a seven foot two wingspan. I think that is huge for him being only six, seven, six, eight, because we've noticed like, there's the reason why I was so high on Moses Moody was because of the wingspan that he had. I thought, oh, this is gonna allow the Pacers to have defensive versatility if they take him. He's a young guy that has plenty of room to grow. So that was that for me. But Ryan, anything you like about him, about his game that we haven't already talked about?
3: Uh yeah, I think like we mentioned Fauci mentioned like some deep way upside, kind of like Bam. I think I think Bam should have won last year. I think Bam is at that level of like maybe winning a deep way every single year at this point. Um I think Jarris has that ability. When the Pacers play the Bucks, he's going to have to guard Giannis. He has to be the one. When the Pacers play the Mavs, he's going to have to guard Luca. Like he is, maybe not if he's playing against like some, like I mentioned before, like Kyrie, smaller guards and stuff like that, depending on the team and the situation and stuff and matchup. But I think in terms of all the stars in the league, he's going to have to be the guy. Like even when they play the, whoever, the Victor Weminyama like, he might have to guard him at some point. Uh, and it might be tough in scheme up, but I think he has that upside to, to, to do that. And with that, it gives you a deep upside because if you're going to be the guy to call it on every single night and you're going to be doing a decently efficient job at it, that's why Herb Jones has kind of stepped up into that conversation. That's how Mikhail Bridges stepped up into that conversation. Uh, and I think he has that same upside. So, Yeah.
2: And when you're talking about obviously Bam, you know, Bam's a real gifted passer as well. Yeah. And Walker is too. Walker averaged about two assists uh, at Houston. And we're talking about uh, a freshman forward that you know that that, that feel for the game is going to translate in the NBA and there's just a lot more possessions to go around, a lot more talented, you know, options on the team. So I really like his passing ability. We know about his shot blocking ability. One thing that I saw, and this was just fantastic that I want to make sure that I have this stat right was basically mentioning that uh, he boxed out on about, it was like, I think it was like 40%. Oh, okay. Here it is. Um, He crashed the boards hard and boxed out his opponents on 39.8% of, of opportunities with strengths, the most amongst projected first round picks. So I just felt like that's someone that you know is going to be, has the ability to bang in the paint, hopefully be able to pull down more rebounds. It's been an issue for the Pacers for years, being able to block shots, but then also, you know, a good passer. So we know what he could do defensively on the offensive side of the ball. I think that we mentioned earlier, he showed that the three-point shot could be there. For a guy like Isaiah Jackson, who's on the Pacers, we've been waiting now for a couple of years. Like I think he made a couple of threes in college, and we thought it would translate. At least Walker made about 32 or 33 three-pointers, so it feels like, okay, that part of his game should be there.
3: mainly mm-hmm. about Jalen Smith, I mean, you mentioned before, I'm a Maryland fan. I chuckled earlier. I love sticks. I don't know if his league is league upside is is like as a starter and stuff, is really going to pan out anymore, but I still love sticks.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we just had a, a funny conversation about Jalen because it's so like, w- what were they doing thinking about bringing him back as a starting power forward? I mean, they went after eight in the offseason and we're still thinking about pairing him <laughs> next to eight. And then they bring the keep Turner, obviously extend him. And then, Realize this isn't gonna work, so then they have to find a spot for Jalen, and it's like, well, make him the backup five. Well, what do you do with Isaiah Jackson then? So yeah. now they're splitting minutes at the backup five, and then Daniel Tice gets healthy, and they bench both the young guys. So it's like, I feel like Jalen. It was good for the Pacers that he came back, but I don't know if it was mm-hmm. the best move for Jalen to re up with the Pacers in free agency. Especially, I mean, I understand being promised a starting position, but you know, that didn't last very long, maybe 25 games or whatever. So I I do think that there is potential for him to be a backup center in the league. There's no doubt about that, but yeah. So let's just talk a little bit here about the weaknesses before we move on. Because one thing that I will say with Jarrett talked about is I I wish he was more aggressive in the paint when he attacks, because he does settle for a lot of floaters if you watch his game and it's like, he has good feel, but it's almost like, just just get to the basket, draw the contact, get to the foul line. I think that is one thing I would like to see more from him. Like we already see how physical of a player that he can be defensively. Bring that to the offensive side of things and be a little bit more aggressive. I don't know if you feel the same, Ryan, but that's just one thing that I, I did not like.
3: Yeah. No. And, and settling in terms like it, with that frame, it makes no sense. A lot of the times, uh, depending on who you're going against in the league, it might change obviously versus college stuff, but he doesn't have like a great pull jumper either, which is a thing that worries me a ton where like you're settling for floaters, you're settling for fades at the elbow and stuff like that. Uh, I look at a guy like with a similar frame, like Isaiah Stewart loves to just pound the rock inside and loves to get absolutely crazy. He's not the best player at all, but you can learn a thing or two from a guy that's built similarly. It's been in the league for a couple of years at this point, and he's had some success doing that. Uh, so I don't I don't disagree at all. I, I do see that. And then the ice, like I mentioned before, I think earlier, the ISO bag really is not super, it's not there. And I get that he might not have the, might not, he might be the third option or fourth option offensively on the team, maybe even fifth or sixth at times. Um, But he's going to have to have the ball in his hands. He's going to be with the second unit every now and then. And I think that's going to really like unleash his game and make him worth a top five pick that he might end up being. Uh, But we'll see, I guess.
2: Yeah. My, my, you
3: know, cons or
2: weaknesses is I just, the offensive game is a little bit of a mystery of if it will ever fully be there. It feels like it's gonna to be too hard for the offensive game to ever match his defensive capabilities. We get that. But would he will he ever be a top two scorer on a team? I don't know. I really don't. And maybe you don't need him to be if you have a guy like Tyrese Halbert put up 20, maybe Matherin can end up, you know, putting up 20 plus. So you don't need to have another guy putting up 20. Uh, It's hard to have three guys doing that. But at the same point, Alex, to your point about the floaters, about 50% of his shots in the paint were floaters. That felt way too high. And then also talked about him being, you know, uh, one of the better passing forwards in in this draft. He also had a high turnover rate when attack of the rim. So I just feel like that's something that need him to tighten up a little bit on the turnovers, you know, use your body to, you know, attack the rim instead of getting close enough to just put a floater up there and come up a bit short. So uh, I worry that his offensive game might not fully develop over time for a guy that could be a top five pick, but defensively, there's obviously a lot to love.
1: Yeah, for sure. So let's go ahead and look at what the mock drafts are saying here, Fachi. So go ahead and let me know where we're seeing Jairus fallout and some of the mock drafts
2: you looked up. Man, these mock drafts are all over the place to an extent. Look, they started at four. I feel like for a long time, I saw him locked in a four behind Victor Womanyama, Scoot, Brandon Miller. And now I feel like we're seeing him between fifth to seventh. I saw on Tankathon, they had him at seventh. Hoops Hype had him at sixth. NBA Draft Room had him at fifth. CBS had him at fifth. Those are just a few of the ones that I went through today. So consensus feels to be, you know, fifth or sixth. Uh, Ryan, is that kind of similar to what you're seeing? I know at, at earlier you mentioned that he could be as high as four, but you know, there's no scenario where we see him above that.
3: Yeah, it depends. Obviously, lottery's in a week, I guess, from from recording this. So, like, it depends who falls where. Like, if you, the Pacers or if OKC jumps up, you guys both need four, both need defense, front court, like physicality. Uh, so, you could see a team taking at four. I don't think three makes sense because Brandon Miller will be there who can play the four. Also, obviously, I'm very, very different skill set. But in terms of filling the four, you go with the upside in that sense. I think no team would pass on him there for Jaris. Uh And like the Blazers, I think, are Blazers are currently fifth in odds, yep. at least, uh, going to the lottery. Their team, I think, is that's why he's five a lot. Because, like, if they want to try to contend, which whatever, they can keep trying to do whatever they're doing. Uh, <laughs> but Jarris is the perfect fit. And then it can still play the long-term game with him. He'll still be good for years to come because he is relatively young. Uh, I just think it it depends. I think he's worth pick four, pick five, pick six. I understand if teams pass on him and want to go for upside. They want to take, they need a guard. They want to take Keontae George, Anthony Black. I get that. So I think anywhere from like four to like eight, he's not going to go past seven or eight realistically. So
2: Mm.
1: yeah, no, I would agree with that. I think that the four to eight range is probably in the right spot. Four does feel a tad bit early to me, even though I think I have him on my Pacers big board at four. I'm going to be making some changes to that just because yeah, as I continue to dive into these prospects, I think there's a little bit more upside. And I think if I'm the Pacers, I want to swing on the upside and not just settle, not in a bad way, but just settle for a guy with, like I said earlier, a high floor. Because, yes, he can come in right away, and I think he'd be the starting power forward. But long-term, is that the best fit? You know, And we've seen that happen before. Like They thought that same thing about Chris Duarte just two years ago when they took him. And now look at him. He's probably on the outside looking in. And I know they they have high hopes for him still. He's a good three-point shooter. but. Just can't stay healthy and couldn't really find his rhythm. So I, I think that different players, obviously much younger, not nearly as old as Duarte, plenty of room to grow still. And who says he can't reach that next level? But I think if I'm if I'm looking at his range, Fachi, I'm putting him in that. I feel very comfortable with him around six. That's where I think is like the earliest I'd want to take him. If I'm looking at everybody on my board now, I think he makes the most sense around six to seven, maybe eight if you fall back and he falls. That's the perfect range for me with him. I think four for me is just a little too high.
2: I'm a little bit scared at four. I, I love him. If there's a scenario that he falls to seven, it's perfect. You know, It's a match made in heaven. But at four, I just feel like you're looking to swing for the fences. You got to remember, the Pacers haven't picked in the top four since Rick Smiths. And if you want to say, hey, they traded for Jonathan Bender on draft night, unfortunately, that didn't work out either. But that at least was a player with massive potential Coming out of high school, that unfortunately injuries went in. So I just feel like if you're looking at four, they're, I mean, you got the Thompson twins that are there. There, There's players with more upside uh, than Jarris Walker. But obviously, as it goes for the lottery, I believe the Pacers can only either move into the top four or yeah. fall, you know, stay the same at seven or fall back. So it's not like we have that option to pick them at fifth or sixth unless we make a trade, which at that point feels like a lot just to move up, you know take josh
3: yeah. walker it, it you made it, a good point i feel like about like uh like swinging for upside i think a lot of te- a lot of people not teams a lot of people will say hey like oh like take the high floor guy take the call or sometimes like, it's like a lot of experienced college guys like why are you passing on them so much because a team like the pacers you guys are not ready to win a championship not ready to win a playoff series whatever in the next year probably two years plus so swinging for upside responsibly obviously and without listening to positional needs and restrictions because People question like OKC and Orlando that have been collecting a lot of guards over the years, and like Orlando's got too many guards. It is well, they're not winning, so they're just collecting as much talent, the best players available as they possibly can, and they will figure it out when they need to. People say the same thing with the Pistons. Oh, like they can't take Scoot if they get two. Like no, they have to because he's Scoot Henderson. They're going to have no choice. Um, but I, I completely agree with you. Like positional need almost gets thrown out the window when you get at one po- at some point in the draft. So
1: yeah, and I mean it's it's difficult because I think. I think Pacer fans are ready to see them back in the playoffs already. Yeah. I don't think they enjoy going through a rebuild like we're going through. And with Kevin Pritchard basically coming out and saying, hey, you know, we felt like this year was two years and one based on how we, you know, kind of exceeded expectations. I think the goal next year is to get to the playoffs. And with Halliburton, you know, still very young and entering into his prime and, you know, being an all-star last year, you want to continue to try to build a winning culture for him. So I agree with you though. It does make sense to do that now. I'm curious, Fanchi. did you have any quotes that stood out to you when looking up Jairus Walker that maybe you'd like to share?
2: I did. Uh, so yardbarker.com said, while there may never be another Draymond Green, Walker is probably the closest thing we've seen a Draymond proxy in a while. At six foot eight, 240, Walker strong enough to battle big men, but quick enough to move laterally with guards. He also has a d- decent feel for the game on offense, so he could potentially be a nice pick-and-roll partner for Tyrese Halliburton. Um, assuming the Pacers don't trade miles Turner this, this off season Walker and Turner would be paired, uh, would be a nice pair as their respective strengths would cover for one other's weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Obviously that that's a lot to get excited about because look, everybody would love to find uh, a Draymond green type player. <laughs> I didn't want to go that far to say that that's the comparison. So I left that out, but there was one other quote, uh, of course it's an unnamed scout because they're always anonymous, but on, on hoop site said, uh, Jarvis, you know, he's always been a role player. Uh, He reminds me of Patrick Williams when I watch him. You could draft him in the top five because his body and perceived upside, but he's never done it as a lead guy. To, To me, you've got to do it at least one level, whether it's high school or college. He always contributed to winning teams and is willing to accept any role on winning teams. So I wanted to pick a quote that was A, positive, and then also B, other one that went the other way. So you saw a great comparison why this could be awesome for the Pacers. And then you saw another comparison that kind of knocked him down a notch to say you could very well just be drafting a really solid role player rather than an all-star. Ryan, I know there's two totally different quotes here. You know,
3: what did you have to dissect? Uh it was I the Draymond thing, like I I we said I love player comps because I think it helps NBA fans especially really understand what kind of role they play in style. Uh, role I also think is very important like role transition is why a lot of guys succeed where you take Christian I talked about Christian Brown before I'm a big Christian Brown fan because of his transition to the league but he, what everything he did at KU to help them win a national title he's helping with the Nuggets to try to contend for a title this year and sometimes it's easier for a guy like him to succeed in transition to the NBA rather than a star like Baji has had his ups and downs he got traded I understand that but on the same team, like a diff- very different roles, but the lesser player, quote unquote, is transitioning easier into the NBA. Obviously, situation is important and opportunity, Um, but it's it's interesting. The Draymond Green comp also stuck out to me because every year someone gets comp to Draymond, like last year's year, Jer- Jeremy Sohan. And I get that. Like there's a lot of those versatile utility forwards that can do a lot and, and they can be like a secondary connector, playmaker. And it's not wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong. Um, but like Fox, like you said, like, I can't like commit to that comp because it's just like, also nobody's (laughs) like Draymond with so, in so many aspects. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think another thing too, with Draymond, it's just like, everybody tries to compare. It's like, no, Draymond Green is a very special player. Like (laughs) you're talking about a defensive player of the year, but like, I think it's undersized fours that are semi-good shooters but not great and i think a little bit
3: you know it's it's like
1: oh oh, yeah he could be a nice it's like okay let's just stop like we can't keep doing this every year but (laughs) i think it's because draymond doesn't scream superstar he just screams like really good player and a lot of people probably view him as a role player and that's why it's easy to make that comp but i thought those were pretty interesting i don't really see the patrick williams comparison other than like what his role might be because i don't think they're the same player at all but um but that's just me from what i've seen from patrick williams but uh, To kind of wrap this up, give me your thoughts, Fauci, you just overall quickly on Walker as we kind of close this out.
2: Overall thoughts, look, the Pacers set a franchise record for most points that they've ever scored in a season, and we won 35 games. We need defense. If, you're, <laughs> if that is exactly what you're looking to buy into, Jarris Walker makes a lot of sense. However, I'm a bit scared to use a top four pick on him if it came down to it. Like I said, if he's there at seven, great. I just don't know if I see him as an all-star caliber player. Um, however, the, the when I started to go across some other young bigs. Now, look at in 2020. James Wiseman, freshman, a couple years in now, we really don't know what we're looking at. Patrick Williams, well, a little bit of a you know, play played 3-4. We still don't know what we're really looking at, and I don't think that the Bulls have gotten what they hoped for. And Onyeka Okonwu, always a mouthful, tough. He went top six, yet to live up to expectations. These freshman bigs, it takes them a few years to develop. How patient is an organization looking to be? We're not in the position the Warriors were, but we saw them punt on the number two pick of James Wiseman in about, you know, two seasons. So I just feel like Jaris Walker could be someone that takes a little bit of time to develop while some other players might be able to hit the ground running when you're at pick four, if you're there. You better hit a home run at seven. You're still looking for someone with very high upside. Hopefully, a Dick Matherin type of player that can make a big impact with Walker. You know, it, it remains to be seen. Defensively, very well could be. Ryan, your final thoughts?
3: He's a monster. He's a beast. If you guys don't jump into the top four next week, if he's still there at seven or if you're at eight, whatever it is, we got it. Pick up the phone so fast they're calling. They're taking them without even blinking an eye. No matter who else is on the board. <laughs> Uh, but I do agree at four, it gets tough. It almost is annoying that you guys can't be five or six. Exactly. The but we're not, you can't complain. Don't complain because like we talked about <laughs> it. I think out, like we interact on Twitter, like you guys haven't had a top five pick since 88 or something like that. Like, don't, don't, it's okay. If you get the top five pick, you take someone else or whoever you take, it's okay.
1: I, I mean, if we jump into the top four, sorry, Jairus Walker, but we're probably looking at somebody else. But at this point, it feels like a very realistic pick for the Pacers. And I think, He's a good fit. I just listened to Sam Bassini and Adam Spinella do a mock draft on the Game Theory podcast, and that's who Adam Spinella picked for the Pacers at 7. And and they both just kind of raved about the fit with the Pacers. So I do think that Rick Carlisle would love someone like this on his roster. Smart basketball player, good rebounder, good defender. But overall, I would say that um, I walked away feeling really good about him as a player. Little small things to improve upon, but that's really it. I don't think, like the big stuff you're worried about like I think he's going to be a high IQ mature basketball player that's going to understand his role you don't have to worry about any of that stuff you don't have to worry about trying to like bring him down a little bit because sometimes guys are trying to like prove themselves as rookies and I mean he's still going to prove himself but some guys are like oh I want to be an all-star I want to be you know rookie of the year and they got to kind of be controlled a little bit by their organization to like realize that hey, this is about a team not about you individual awards are great but we got to do this as a collective unit so I think that's one thing that works out great for him, but let's go ahead and wrap up part one here of our of our draft talk here. And uh, we'll come back tomorrow with a conversation about UCF sport Taylor Hendricks. Setting the pace, going to the top, setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast, sweeping every team. We gonna
0: need a mop smooth.